We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon fans, what is going on? How is everybody doing? It is Thursday, October 20th. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Just in case you're new here, I'm your host, Max Torres, and today I am talking with my guy, Sam Conan, the publisher of All Bruins, our partner site here on the Fan Nation Network. He covers the UCLA Bruins for Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, and we are going to be previewing this big-time matchup between number 9 UCLA and number 10 Oregon. Uh, it's in Eugene at Odson Stadium, 1235 kickoff on Fox, I believe, this Saturday College Game Day is going to be there. There's storylines galore, uh, but we are going to be breaking down this big-time matchup. Sam, how are we doing? Thanks for taking some time to be here. Yeah, excited to, to talk some Bruins, talk some Ducks. Looking forward to it, Max. Yeah, it's, it's a big game, the game of the week, as we all know. Uh, but before we get into our full preview and kind of breakdown of this game, uh, friendly reminder to throw a question in the live chat if you guys are here watching live on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Oregon Football Max Taurus. Oregon Football Max Taurus is where you can find us. Uh, go ahead, like the video, comment on the video, subscribe to the channel. All that good stuff is incredibly appreciated. And we got some, some regulars that are already here in the comments. We got Gerard saying, let's get this program started. Uh, we always like to say program just like Dan Lanning. And then we got the Slayer here throwing a Go Ducks out there. So uh, we're, we're the vibes are high, Sam. We're, we're ready to get this one rolling. Um, and I think one of the biggest storylines that I kind of just wanted to dig my teeth into a little bit, especially that since you're here going into this game, Chip Kelly is bringing his best UCLA team yet to Eugene. It's not so much a storyline of, oh, Chip Kelly's returned to Eugene because, you know, he was a former coach at Oregon. He's he's established in Westwood. Sometimes I forget the absolute failed experiment he was with my 49ers. But all that to say. Uh, he's got this UCLA team rocking and rolling, and I mean it's it's the best that uh, the best that they've looked since he's been head coach. What do you think? Yeah, I, it's kind of crazy. This is the best they've looked just in terms of their start, their record in 17 years. Uh, they're on pace for their best season in 20 plus years. Uh, so it's not just the best of Chip Kelly, but it is the best start of any better than Jim Mora, better than Rick Neuheisel. It's kind of crazy what he's been able to do so far this season and, and it's halfway through. So it's no small sample size. It's no small feat to start six and zero. 
And uh, it's it's been really impressive to watch the way he's calling the offense, the substitution patterns, uh, rising to the occasion in these big games that maybe the past couple of years the team hasn't been able to do. Uh, that was the thing last year where the team was decent. You look on paper talent-wise, and you'd probably say that 2021 UCLA was better than 2022. But the veterans that did stick around and didn't go to the draft and didn't transfer are even more experienced. And the way that the schedule was built kind of – lighter early on let them experiment ease into things a little bit and, and that kind of all led to this team building and building and looking better than it has ever under kelly and i'm glad that you mentioned the schedule there sam because i'll be honest you know we have our pac 12 power rankings every week uh ucla is undefeated but we got through uh you know those first three weeks and ucla was undefeated with wins over bowling green alabama state and then a one point win over south alabama and i'm sitting there thinking to myself okay yeah ucla is undefeated but they really haven't played anybody and they've looked a little suspect at times uh in in some of these games and then they must have heard me because then after they got off to a four no four no start they hand washington and utah their first losses in, in conference play respectively and now it just looks like they're the real deal. So it's it's been kind of interesting to see how they've progressed week to week. And now they've gone from looking like a little bit suspect to, oh, no, yeah, this is like probably one of the best teams, if not the best team in the conference right now. Yeah, that, that's one of the biggest difference when you look at the past couple of years, too, where under Chip Kelly, the past two, three years, UCLA ha- has always beaten the bad teams. It beats the teams it should. Uh, and then when it meets teams that have winning records by the end of the year. When, when you look at the whole picture and say that was a pretty decent team or good team or great team, they can't beat them. Uh, so that narrative was still in place a month into this season. Cause like you said, Bowling Green, they just completely blow them out. Didn't look amazing, especially in the beginning of that game, but blow it wins a blow it win. Same thing against Alabama state. First time they ever play an FCS team, they blow them out pretty considerably. Uh, again, didn't look perfect in that game. Uh, but a blow win is a blow win. South Alabama, as it turns out, is pretty decent. I think they're five and one or six and one right now. Uh, and UCLA barely scraped by. I think after that, when you're talking about the back 12 power rankings that we had, uh, were they six? Was it UCLA six or seven? And they were sitting at three and oh. They, they mm-hmm. and my, myself included, no one was really appreciating that three and oh start. And, and not that, not to say we should have, it was a kind of a lighter schedule and they did what they should and didn't look all too impressive. Um, but I mean, getting to beat up on those, those teams and kind of rest DTR in the second halves and bench Zach Charbonnet for a game and experiment with different pass rush packages against, uh, different types of offensive lines. Uh, I, I think all kind of fed in one thing led to another and overall, it, I, I think playing a lighter schedule helped them gear up for those big games. And they obviously have another one coming up this week too, which they came into uh, coming off a of bye week like Oregon. Yeah. It's interesting that they've both had bye weeks before this game. So kind of makes you think it could set up for an even better game since both teams are, are hopefully going to be, you know, at their best, no major injuries that we're really tracking on the Oregon side of things. Um, you know, we're still kind of waiting to see what happens with Byron Carwell when he's going to be able to come back. Uh, and then Stephen Jones is another guy that probably isn't going to play this game. Brian Addison is going to be back, a former UCLA commit, as a lot of people know, coming out of uh, Gardena Serra here in the Southern California area. But 
Sam, the thing that I wanted to ask you is I remember we did this podcast last year uh, before uh, covering the Oregon UCLA game. And you, you weren't too high on Chip Kelly after he, after he got that recent contract extension. Um, just kind of wanted to, to get some of your thoughts on him as a coach and, and maybe how you view him differently now. Yeah, I think what's been true uh, throughout his entire tenure at UCLA is he's been very good at the X's and O's. Uh, he can, can work with the players he has and, and design plays and, and run a hurry up offense or slow it down. And he, he's always been able to do that. That's what he was kind of known for initially at Oregon. That's what he kind of built as his, uh, his brand. And he definitely brought that to UCLA. Uh, the issues that I had a year ago are still kind of in place now and they're kind of being hidden by a six and zero record because of uh, how it's all played out. Because a, a lot of the issues people have are the overall engagement and the, um, and, and the team building aspects of it. The engagement side, I mean, when you win, you bring in fans, you, you have a better looking personality. So he's working that out, but the recruiting still isn't what it is. The over-reliance on the transfer portal is a little questionable. Uh, the, the scholarship distribution is interesting. It's going to be really tough to see where this team goes after this year. But at the same time, I mean, do you really want to look forward to that? Or do you want to think about, oh, this team's 6-0, and contending for the Pac-12 championship, contending to go to a Rose Bowl, college football playoff is in the cards because you're undefeated halfway through the year. I don't blame any UCLA fan for just enjoying what, what they have while they have it and worrying about whatever happens next when they get to it. So, I mean, not six and zero hasn't healed anything, hasn't healed everything. 12 and zero would definitely uh, heal everything, <laughs> but we're not there yet. And, and there are still some issues to work out in the future, even though right now on the field, things are going pretty much perfectly. Yeah. And I like the way that you put it. And I think it's a, it's a reasonable, you know, perspective to have because college football just in the past, six months or a year has just changed so dramatically. So every program is kind of taking those changes a little bit differently, taking them in stride. Uh, if you think about UCLA, this is a perfect time to kind of kick it into high gear, seeing that they're headed to the big 10 pretty soon. That's a whole nother discussion. Um, but to, to talk about what you said, you know, taking the good with the bad with the recruiting. Uh, I was in San Diego a couple weeks ago to look at Roderick Robinson, who was a running back committed to UCLA and then after I finished talking to him, I was kind of getting the vibe. All right, this guy's probably not sticking with UCLA, looking like uh, A&M or Georgia. And then like literally the next week, he flipped to Georgia. Uh, so that was pretty funny. But then last week, you kind of had the inverse. You had some good news. You had RJ Jones, the, the local St. John Bosco safety, uh, who was previously um, committed to Cal, I want to say. Uh, and yeah. that was a Pac-12 school. He, he flipped his commitment, or he didn't flip it, but he decommitted a while ago, and then he ended up re uh, just committing to the Bruins. So I think it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag right now with Chip Kelly. I think he's definitely proven if people didn't already know this, that he's a better college coach than an NFL coach. Um, yes. But it, yes. But it, it can say that pretty safely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so I think just, it, it looks like there's reason to be more confident in, in Chip Kelly and, and UCLA, but I think I'm kind of getting some, some vibes from you that there's still so much, that he could do better and like a whole nother level that this team um, could, could get to. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I was talking about how the winning brings in engagement. It makes him look better. Fans like him more. That relationship is a lot stronger when the team wins, obviously. 
Um, but then also recruiting gets better when you win, especially when you're UCLA with so many built-in natural advantages of of being in Southern California with the nice weather and being around so many talented high school players. And uh, even if those guys don't commit to you initially, maybe they go to Alabama for two years and come back. Uh, maybe they're not from Southern California. Maybe they're from uh, the West Coast or from uh, Pacific Island and they want to be closer to family. So all these different advantages that, that UCLA has and his only kind of starting to take advantage of in little pockets, that will only explode as the team wins more. Because, I mean, who wouldn't want to play for a Power 5 big brand school that's going to the Big Ten if they rattle off an 11-1 and season and go to the Rose Bowl for the first time since 98 or win it for the first time since it was 85 or 86? So UCLA has always been talked about as a sleeping giant by by some of the more diehard fans who who recognize that the team and the program isn't really living up to its full potential. And the more they win, the more consistently they win, the more double-digit win seasons they get. If DTR gets Heisman buzz, whatever that is, that all builds, builds, and builds. And then it, it leads to recruiting success, team-building success. People want to transfer there. NFL players who come through, that makes it look better for recruits coming in too. And, and it's, it's just all kind of this cumulative process where winning – leads to a lot of good things off of the field, let alone the, the the standings and the bowl games and all that. Winning is not only the best recruiting tool, but, you know, it, it helps kind of uh, make up for any deficiencies or shortcomings that people might have. You know, they're like, oh, is Chip Kelly really the guy? Well, he keeps winning, so uh, he's, <laughs> he's helping himself out there. So just kind of wanted to touch base with you on where, where you're standing with, with Chip Kelly, and it sounds like you're more confident, but – still not completely sold maybe and and there's some area for improvement. Yeah, I I think you're talking about how the college football landscape has shifted and and you get some of that with conference realignment and NIL and transfer portal, all this stuff. But you can also just see the mindset of a lot of these schools change. Um, Like in LSU, Uh, getting rid of Ed Ogeron, what, a year and a half after he won the national championship? So not to say that UCLA looks at itself as an LSU. Maybe it does once it gets to the Big Ten. Um, but you can have one really great season and achieve all these amazing things. And obviously, in, in Ogeron's situation, there were extenuating circumstances too. Uh, but generally, no one has that long of a leash in college football anymore. You can win a lot of games, have one bad season, and get the boot. So with Chip Kelly, I, I at this point, you're expecting UCLA to win 10 plus games, no matter how the rest of the season goes. And then at that point, that pretty much cleared the bar for what a lot of people were looking for this year to keep them around heading into next year. But next year, let's say they win four games. Do you want to keep them around going to the big 10? Do you want to have them there as a, in like a transition year? I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say that because of this six and zero start, he's going to be the coach for the next three, four years. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of, Still, even though he has four more years on this deal, uh, the buyout drops to zero, I think, mid-December 2023. So it's it's a lot of year-to-year with, with Chip Kelly still, even though he got that extension in January, and he has the team playing really well right now. So uh, on the field, it's going great, and we'll just have to see where it goes the rest of this year, next year, the year after that. It, it just come back and reevaluate every six months pretty much. So we'll we'll uh, we'll continue to evaluate where things are at with, with Chip Kelly. Um, funny deal with both USC and UCLA. I think that myself included, a lot of people 
you know, in the Oregon community, we're looking at it saying, well, USC and UCLA can't even win the Pac-12. What makes them think they're going to be competitive in the Big Ten? And then coincidentally, <laughs> you, uh, they're both just ripping through their schedules, even though UC- USC lost to Utah by just one point last week. So it's it's interesting timing with that for sure. Um want to switch gears a little bit to our next topic on the show. Uh, but before we do that, quick reminder, uh, you guys should throw a question in the live chat and because we're going to try to get some mailbag uh, at the end of the show. Uh, always love engaging with you guys, seeing what's on your mind. And, and I know some people have questions for both you and I, Sam. So get those questions in and we will do our best to answer them. Probably going to be going until about one o'clock local time here on the West Coast. Um, so with that, let's get into our next topic. Dorian Thompson Robinson has been on an absolute tear for the UCLA Bruins so far in 2022 and is one of the main reasons that they stand at the top of the Pac-12 with a 6-0 record heading into this game on Saturday against Oregon. Um, You think that with with all the continuity that he's had in Westwood, he felt like the perfect quarterback for, for Chip Kelly, and there's kind of been some mixed results during his during their time together. But now, Sam, I, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's hitting career highs in a variety of stats, and he just looks like the guy, um, really, in, in the Pac-12 when it comes to quarterbacks. That's why we're so excited for this game. Bo Nix is playing great. DTR is playing great. Uh, I have the topic here, Dorian Thompson-Robinson's Revenge Tour. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on on DTR and kind of what he's been able to do, how important he is to this team. Yeah, I think where it starts for DTR is, I mean, it's his fifth year, with the program uh, kind of split his freshman year as a starter with Wilton Spade. Both of them were kind of injured coming in and out of the lineup and everything, but he's been with this team a long time. And in that time, he's had a lot of really good games, electric games, uh, crazy highlights, uh, big numbers. Uh, you can rem- remember the Washington state comeback where they're down 32 in the third quarter uh, on the road against the ranked team. And, and he breaks all these different records and, and uh, last year against USC, um, puts up but 62 points for UCLA, leading that offense. He, he played great in that. The thing with him, the, um, really through his whole UCLA career, is he'll have great games and he'll have some not so great games. Uh, which I mean, that's kind of how it works with a lot of college quarterbacks. But w- with him, it's interesting because he's a guy with a really strong personality and a lot of attitude. And when he lets that show, uh, he actually, it feels like he plays better when he's not playing well. You can kind of tell that he, uh, is, is a little more reserved and retreats into himself a little bit. Um, so when he has a lot of games in a row where he's playing great, the three to end last season, the six to start this year, it just builds and builds and he's able to act more confidently because in the past he could have a crazy awesome game and he could act all, uh, just brag and go over and talk trash like like he is this year but i mean in past years the next two games he had maybe were bad and then he looks dumb for for talking trash uh two weeks earlier now he has the confidence to say you know i i'm i played great tonight i'm gonna talk trash i'm gonna be myself and i know i'm not gonna look dumb because i'm gonna play great next week too uh so i i think that's something that's really powered his production uh and, and his overall impact on the offense it's been really helpful and you would expect that confidence to, to have a, a lasting impact on anybody, but I think it really applies for a quarterback here. We all know how it goes. If you have some turnovers, it's so easy to get down on yourself. 
And if you don't have a good defense, then that can just kind of compound the issue. But UCLA does have a good defense. So even if it's not a, uh, you know, a crazy scoring drive every time he touches the ball, uh, it's not the end of the world because the UCLA defense can, can help him out, obviously help keep some games close, um, keep them in games. But he's so fun to watch, man. I, I think one thing for sure that we know is if you give him a clean pocket, he's going to make you pay. Uh, really, really flourishing in kind of a variety of throws, throwing off platform, on the run, improvising, running the ball has just been incredible. I remember Dan Lane talked about him earlier this week when he was kind of previewing UCLA, and he said that Dorian Thompson Robinson is, is more like a running back or a wide receiver when he when he's uh, running with the ball. Uh, I remember the biggest highlight for me would probably be either the he had a crazy hurdle earlier in the year, which I think was against Washington. Uh, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then he also had a crazy juke where two Washington guys just collided with each other at the goal line. So he's a game breaker. He's a playmaker. Um, I'd certainly, obviously, in the discussion for top quarterback in the Pac-12, I think you obviously have him, Cam Rising, Bo Nix, Caleb Williams. Uh, no, no surprise that the best teams in the conference are all getting phenomenal seasons out of their quarterbacks. Um, but for Oregon, I think that they do have some familiarity, obviously, facing Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Kayvon Thibodeau made sure that it was a pretty long day for DTR last year. I remember I posted a picture uh, that one of that my photographer sent me of Kayvon standing over DTR. DTR was just like sprawled out on the ground because he just got leveled. And I was I, I, I remember I posted, I said, what is Dorian Thompson-Robinson thinking here? Wrong answers only. And then his mom got upset with these comments and was like, oh, now he's going to have to read all these comments. So I ended up taking it down. But uh, yeah, I think that was just kind of a side tangent. I mean, DTR is that guy. Oregon doesn't have KT this year, but I think they do still have a really solid front seven that is going to need to keep him in the pocket and kind of try to keep him contained as best as he can. Yeah, I think the thing that's uh, th- that's really maybe underrated about him because a lot of his highlights are coming from plays when he's being a dual threat is how, like you said, you give him a clean pocket and he can tear you apart. So it's, it's more than just containing it's applying pressure uh, because he gets the ball out quick and Chip Kelly has designed this playbook uh, with any number of routes that he can look towards and find guys in open space and find them quickly uh, and even when he does have to sit in the pocket a little longer and pressure does get to him, one of his biggest areas of improvement over the last four years has been how he gets rid of the ball. He used to panic, throw into traffic. Now it's, I'm going to wait until the last possible second, and then boom, throw it out of bounds, or roll out some out of the pocket, and then chuck it away. All good, no problem, don't have to worry about that. So you get less sacks, less interceptions, less fumbles, and that's something that's obviously really helped the the UCLA offense. It's fewer negative plays and fewer turnovers. You get more possessions. You're not giving the other team a good field position. And, and a lot of that uh, goes to DTR's decision-making, which has been really impressive. Uh, because I think the last two years, in 2020 and 2021, he was second team all Pac-12 by the end of the year, which makes him a top three QB in the conference. So it's not like this jump has been out of nowhere. He's just gone from being a top three quarterback to maybe number one. I mean, Caleb Williams comes into yeah, Penix and, and Bo Nix playing really well. Um, but in terms of the production and efficiency, I mean, TTR is completing 75% of his passes for something like 11 adjusted yards per attempt. It, this, this kind of efficiency is almost unmatched. And he's, I think he has the highest passer rating by a PAC 12 QB since Marcus Mariota in 2014. So that's the, the, 
that's the count stats, that's the efficiency, uh, it's completion percentage and and uh, number of attempts and yards and touchdowns, interceptions, all that boiled into one. He's having a better season than any back 12 QB since Marcus Mariota. We'll see if he can finish that out in the next six games, but it, it is kind of crazy when you look at the historical context of how well he's playing right now. Yeah, he, he's also just been taking care of the ball really well. I think I was looking at some of the stats for him uh, so far this year and only only two interceptions thrown, uh, which is obviously going to help keep your offense out there on the field and, and keep putting up points. So the, the DTR success story, like you said, is one that isn't all too surprising, but it's absolutely integral to how well they've been able to play this year. And uh, I know that Chip Kelly is loving it and, and Bruin fans have to be loving it as well. Um, let's see here. Let's... That's actually a good question that could kind of go into one of the topics I wanted to talk about. So we know that DTR is kind of the story with this offense, but Gerard has a question here about two of the other big playmakers. Gerard says, for Sam, who do you think will have a bigger impact on Saturday, Zach Charbonnet or Jake Bobo, the Duke wide receiver transfer? Um, Let's get some of your thoughts here. Um, I think maybe in terms of production, who will put up bigger numbers or stats, it's easy to say Charbonnet because – uh, he's he's putting up over pretty much 150 scrimmage yards per game. He's really good, as good as he was last year, if not a little bit better. But in terms of the impact, I, I think I'd have to go Jake Bobo because of the way that that Oregon will have to game plan around him. It's totally different than than what they've had to game plan going against UCLA these past two three years. Uh, he's a, a vertical threat. He's a physical threat going up for jump balls. He can make contested catches. Uh, Chip Kelly uh, has been able to position him in ways that maybe you don't expect from a vertical threat. Uh, the the types of routes he's running, the way he's getting into space. Uh, he's really been the, their best receiver since week two, week three. Been an absolute monster on third downs. So uh, Zach Charbonnet is going to put up numbers. Uh, he, he's going to do really well. But uh, Jake Bobo going against an Oregon secondary that maybe isn't as good as its front seven. Uh, I think Jake Bobo is really going to cause problems and Oregon's coaches are definitely going to be very, very focused on him these next few days and in, in these last final tune-ups uh, for their game plan. Jake Bobo is really fun to watch on a film. Uh, I want to say he's like six, five, uh, but he yeah. moves really, really well. So you know, that's a point to the athleticism that he has uh, six, five, two fifteen. Um, so fi- figures that Christian Gonzalez is probably going to be the main guy that Oregon deploys to, to slow him down. He's having an all Pac-12 caliber type of a season, uh, getting uh, first round draft projections I've seen in a couple instances. So he's been a huge success story for the Oregon defense since coming over from Colorado. But I think that I would agree just because Oregon's pass defense is statistically the worst in the Pac-12, I believe, right now. Uh, I know that Oregon did a really good job of limiting Charbonnet last year. Um, I'm trying to look up his stats on the fly um let me let me double check uh i literally just edited a story that uh someone spoke about it but uh i i'm drawing a blank so give me just a second here um yeah i think he may have gotten into the end zone but his uh yeah his yards per carry was definitely down in that game from what i remember yeah it it was a it was a tougher game for them okay here we go espn's bailing me out i'm going to 2021 doing a marvelous job stalling uh, oh, okay, yeah. here we go. 15 <laughs> carries for 35 yards, 2.3 yards per carry. Kept him out of the end zone uh, yeah. entirely in that game. Uh, so I think it's a little bit of a different situation because Britton Brown isn't there. So it's a little bit of a mm-hmm. different deal with the, the running backs. But 
he he's the class of running backs in the Pac-12, and Oregon has one of their own on their side with Bucky Irving, who's just been so hard to bring down. I think that's going to be one of the best storylines matchup, kind of indirect matchups, but the running game versus the running game. Um, so I, I agree. I think that Bobo is going to be the bigger guy that they have to account for. But Zach Charbonnet is a stud. He's going to be a, a centerpiece of that game plan for the Bruins. And and then DTR, I think, is the number two rusher on that team. So if Charbonnet can't run it, you know, look for DTR to get involved in the in the run game as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, like you were talking about, not having Britton Brown has has put a lot more of the the load on Zach Charbonnet because uh, the backup now in in a kind of one A one B situation is what coach running backs coach Deshaun Foster kind of wanted coming into the year. Uh, Keegan Jones hasn't really been that one B guy. They've almost had more success late in games with with guys like TJ Harden um, and, and Christian Grubb, uh, who these younger guys, guys who are maybe coming off injuries or uh, hadn't played much in the past. They they've looked good. I don't know if they'll get any run, but uh, Keegan Jones hasn't been super efficient this year, so I think it's going to be a lot uh, of of Zach Charbonnet coming out of the backfield. All right. Well, we know to keep uh, an eye on that. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break here on the Ducks Dish podcast for those of you listening to us on the audio platforms. But don't go anywhere. We got more Oregon versus UCLA preview for you after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, talking with all of Bruins publisher, Sam Conan. And we are going to be continuing our preview of this Oregon versus UCLA game. 
this week, College Game Day's destination. We just found out that Sabrina Ionescu is going to be the guest picker for Oregon, uh, Oregon basketball legend. Um, I think there's already, we've already seen pictures of game day setting up. We've already seen a couple of tents uh, on the Twitter sphere of uh, people camping out for this game. So the the atmosphere is kind of already living up to it, but wanted to switch gears a little bit with you, Sam. Let's talk about the story with UCLA's defense. Uh, I know for them, they have the number two rushing defense in the Pac-12, just a yard behind Oregon in terms of rushing yards per game allowed. I think it's 98 and 99. Um, so that that's definitely going to be something to watch. Both these teams love to run the ball and they run the ball really well. So that's going to be some, some clashing there. Uh, I know that UCLA has Jalen Davies, a transfer DB from Oregon who made a play in their last game against uh, Utah, but uh, just kind of wanted to dig into that, that question, the topic of the UCLA defense, because I, I feel like maybe it's flown under the radar a little bit because their offense has just been so explosive and so fun to watch. Yeah, I think they've definitely taken a major step forward this year. It's not to the point that maybe the statistics suggest. I, I wouldn't say this is some kind of world beater defense that's the best in the Pac-12. But when you do look at the the basic stats, they say, well, UCLA yards per game wise, best in the Pac-12 yards per play, points per drive, all the best or one of the best in the Pac-12. So you can't really totally overlook that, uh, even if the eye test says they're not top 10 defense in the country because uh i mean they don't need to be when your offense is this good uh you just have to have a, an above average decent pretty good defense and that's what you see has had so far it's taken them to a six and a record because for these past couple of years it's always been and this offense is really good but the defense has really let them down what would this team look like if they had a mediocre defense and now we get to see that. And, and this defense is better than mediocre, but it, it, it's proving the point that a lot of people were trying to make these past couple of years is just saying, just that defense. You just have to fix that defense and then you're golden. And it turns out they, they are so far. So there's a lot of new faces on the coaching staff and on the field and uh, schematic changes, pl- these, these playmakers who are out here converting on uh, these schematic changes. And it, it's really kind of worked perfectly for UCLA so far, even if uh, the eye test doesn't show that they're the best ever or anything. Yeah. So maybe the the defense isn't fixed, but it's gone from the point where, okay, the offense is running the show and, you know, we need the offense to just score more points and we'll be okay. But no, you can, you can rely on this UCLA defense to to step up and, and make some big plays to maybe limit some of the star players that they're going against on a, on a weekly basis Utah is not an easy team to beat, um, and I think they did a good job. There were still a lot of explosive plays in that game, but they're a team that's really known, I think, to kind of be the standard for the trenches in the conference, and UCLA was able to knock them off, uh, get some force some turnovers. That's always going to help you. So even if it's not you know a finished product, we were seeing some guys come in and, and help out. Um, maybe we could talk about a few of them, Darius uh, – Masao, is that how you say his name? Yeah, uh, Muasao. Muasao. Okay, Darius Muasao. And then uh, another guy that I've been hearing about is Leatu Latu, the, the linebacker who was formerly at Washington. We can get a little bit about those guys and, and some of the guys that have kind of caught your eye this year. Yeah, I think those two have been massive additions. I think Latu especially. Uh, he made uh, the AP's midseason All-American team. Uh, he's getting a lot of credit and, and rightfully so for helping turn this defense around you, you have him and Gabriel and Grayson Murphy the twins who transferred in from North Texas 
uh, between those three guys, those edge rushers, that's 10 sacks, something like uh, 14, 15 tackles for loss halfway through the season, just between those three guys. So they, they've really made a big difference. Uh, I, I think in years past, what UCLA had to do to create pressure was bring an extra man, bring bring a blitzer five man rush, whatever it was, whether it was their striker in a four, two, five or a linebacker coming in. Um, and, and you had pretty good uh, contributors in, in those roles in the past. Like Mitchell Lagude was, was their main edge guy last year and the year before. Um, and, and you had some talent in the middle with Osa Digizua, Tito Ponya, but no real disruptors and playmakers in the front seven. Now you have the Murphy twins. You have Latu. You're freeing up guys um, like a David Magna, who was a, a walk-on coming into the season, got a scholarship in August, and now he's out there playing some some quality snaps. And because of the attention that those guys on the edge are bringing, uh, getting double teamed, getting held, getting just overall disrupting, then those maybe lower key guys who you were kind of worried about filling in for former NFL players in the middle, they're able to contribute as well. So the front seven, uh, you add in Muasau at, at, at kind of that key linebacker spot, the, the will spot over the middle. John John Vaughn, who also plays baseball, uh, has been looking really good. He's kind of banged up, not totally sure if he's going to be able to play Saturday, but if he does, he's someone who's athletic and dynamic and has been able to contribute uh, pretty well so far this year. Camadrano just came back from injury. The, those main guys in the front seven are the biggest reason this defense has changed. It's, it's kind of crazy because... It was always, there was a lot of talk about how the secondary was the issue, and the the secondary is playing well. Someone like Mo Ossing, uh, Devin Kirkwood, Jalen Davies, like you were talking about, coming from Oregon, these guys are playing well. But in terms of the personnel, the front seven has improved drastically, and that's just helped the secondary take that next step and, and be able to shut things down a little bit more, limit the plays over the top, not bringing a man from coverage in to, to blitz because that's the only way to create pressure. Now, this front seven can create pressure on its own, and, and that helps the defensive backs really handle their own a, a little bit easier than they than they did before. And maybe we're seeing a little bit of crossover in some of these storylines uh, between the two teams because I think Oregon's secondary has kind of been the biggest question mark for their defense. Uh, and then also just with that, how, how, how would this front seven adapt to losing Kayvon Thibodeau? And we've kind of gotten a little bit more of an answer so far this season through six games. We've seen DJ Johnson and Brandon Dorless emerge as the top havoc creators, the top pass rushers for Oregon. Um, but there's still some room to grow. And then they, they've brought in some really good pieces from the portal, Jordan Riley, Casey Rogers, uh, Keon Ware Hudson's back healthy and he's contributing as well. So Oregon's front seven has been improving as well. And we're kind of still waiting to see uh, how Justin Flo and Noah Sewell can really thrive together because Justin Flo has been kind of banged up on and off throughout the season. So kind of interesting to hear what you're saying about UCLA being a little bit of a work in progress on, on the back end and then similar deal with Oregon, um, which made it so surprising, I think, to see Jalen Davies leave um, when he did because they lost Mikel Wright, they lost DJ James. Um, really when Mikel left, I thought DJ James was going to be cornerback one and then there was still some snaps up for grabs that Jalen Davies probably could have really competed for, but you know, I'm, I didn't talk to those guys about their decisions. Um, so they got to do what's best for them. Uh, but on Oregon's side of things with their offense, I think that they're definitely going to be up for the chat, the challenge here with, with UCLA's front seven. And I remember when I was watching those highlights, you can kind of give me your thoughts. UCLA's front seven looked a lot bigger than I remember them looking recently. They have some huge dudes there in the trenches that are not going to make it easy for Oregon to run the ball. 
But at the same time, for as good as UCLA is at stopping the run, Oregon is also good at running the ball. That's their bread and butter. That's what they're going to use to to get things going. So it's going to be tough for UCLA to get after Bo Nix, but in the same way that it's going to help Oregon to get some hits on DTR, you know, make his life a little difficult. I'm sure that's what UCLA's defense is going to be trying to do with Bo Nix, and and they're going to have to get through probably the top offensive line in the Pac-12 to do it. Yeah, I think when you talk about football, looking past the narratives and everything, nothing really exists in a vacuum. So we can talk about how well the defense is playing, but a lot of that goes back to how a specific position group is playing or how the offense is playing or what the score is and the time and the pace where it's being played, all these different factors. Uh, I I think the way that the offense is running things uh, is really helping the defense succeed for UCLA. Um, And because you look at Utah two weeks ago, Tavion Thomas was getting everything he wanted in that first half. And and he was just tearing up UCLA's front seven. Uh, No crazy, big, massive plays, but he was getting multiple first down runs. He was going for 12 yards, 15 yards, 18 yards, 10 yards, whatever it was. Uh, And then in the second half, UCLA scored a touchdown. Oregon's down two scores and they can't really run it as much. I think Tavion Thomas only had like six rushing yards in the second half after going for 80 plus in the first. So the way that UCLA is able to uh, come back when they're down or hold on to a lead and continue to grow and expand on that lead is kind of stopping teams that want to run from running. And I think that's going to do wonders against Oregon if they're able to do it. If the DTR and Charbonnet and Chip Kelly are able to succeed on offense, then maybe the defense doesn't have to be great against the run. They just have to make sure Oregon doesn't run the ball, which is a different way of stopping the run if you think about it. Yeah, well, let's stay there for a second because I think that's one of the key differences between this year's team and last year's team for Oregon. If you made Oregon one-dimensional last year, I mean, or or like that was basically what happened in most of Oregon's losses when they went against Utah. Utah took away the run, and they were say they went basically sat back and said, "Okay, hey, we're going to make you beat us with Anthony Brown. Anthony Brown, we want you to pass the ball," and they couldn't do it. But now it's a different situation because Oregon's offense is much more balanced, much more effective. Uh, it feels like Kenny Dillingham's offense is just what the doctor ordered for Bo Nix. Um, and if they do try to take away the run or they do take away the run to some extent, I think that as an Oregon fan or in the Oregon circle, you've got to be feeling more confident in, in their ability to move the ball through the air uh, if needed. Um, and, and that's due in large part to some of these receivers that have come on, like Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, Chase Coda has had uh, you know his, his contributions after coming over from UCLA, seeing more of that crossover again. Um, so I fully expect Oregon to be able to run the ball just with what we've seen this year. They were able to run the ball a little bit against um, against Georgia. So, I mean, can't get much of a tougher test than that. But I think that it's it's going to be really fun to see how how Oregon's offense attacks UCLA's defense and, and vice versa. So just kind of wanted to, to get some of your final thoughts on the defense for UCLA or just the UCLA defensive matchup against the Oregon offense. Yeah, I think for UCLA, if, if you're going to try to – uh, replicate any performance uh, to use again against Oregon. I think you want to look back at that Utah game from two weeks ago where Cam Rising threw for 290 yards and completed 72% of his passes. But Oregon, uh, sorry, Utah's offense uh, only had, I think it was 25 points before DTR threw a pick six with 20 seconds left. So it's not 
like the defense gave that up or anything. So the, this is a real bend don't break defense for UCLA. And I feel like normally when, when you say that there, it's kind of a, a dirty phrase and negative con- connotation to bend don't break. It's kind of a little outdated. Um, pe- people don't typically like that, but this team is letting teams in onto their side of the field and getting stops on fourth down and forcing fumbles and getting interceptions and limiting the big plays. This UCLA defense is not letting up 50 yard completions over the top. They're, they're not getting beat for 70 yard touchdowns. So the, if you just look at how much time Utah had to chew up uh, in, in that game two weeks ago, you want Oregon to do the same. You don't want Oregon to have two play 75 yard drives. Uh, you, you want them to, you're UCLA, you want to score early, keep scoring just little by little. You don't have to break the game open or anything, but you just have to stay up a little bit and make Oregon eat up as much time as you can. Because it, it seems kind of backwards. Normally, you, you want to be the one controlling the clock. But if you're a defense that's, I mean, you, you can get first downs. You can't give up points. <laughs> and that's what UCLA has, has done against Washington. That's what they've done against Utah. And uh, for, for their sake, they're hoping they can do the same thing against Oregon. The, the bend don't break defense is, is a, a tricky thing because it's good in some ways, but it also comes back to bite you. And I think that's kind of what Oregon was like last year. They were forcing a bunch of takeaways. That's where the uh, you know, not breaking happened. And they were bending because they would let people get deep into the red zone. Uh, but then they would come up with those big takeaways when they were battling injuries and the takeaways kind of stopped, um, which I think is part of the reason that I think a lot of people would say that Oregon's defense last year was probably better than this year so far, um, you know, from a personnel standpoint. Um, but uh, to talk about third downs, UCLA has pretty much, you know, excelled on third downs. Opponents are 41.3% conversion rate on third down, whereas Oregon's more around 50%. So Oregon's going to have to excel on third down on both sides of the ball in this one. I think that could be an underrated storyline that we track. Kind of have one more topic I want to get into, Sam, and then we'll answer some mailbag questions, if, if that sounds cool with you. A um, mm-hmm. little bit of an obvious storyline, but it's worth mentioning. Oregon against the UCLA is going to be crucial in the Pac-12 title race. Both teams are the last teams in the conference that have yet to lose to a Pac-12 opponent. Uh, and I think what's interesting about how this sets up is that Oregon definitely has a difficult schedule down the line, whereas UCLA doesn't have a cakewalk, but it gets a lot easier for them, I think, down the line. After this game, Oregon will still have home games against Washington and Utah, who both figure to be ranked when they come to Autzen Stadium. Got to hit the road to Cal, uh, which probably isn't that threatening of a game, but then you also have to go to Corvallis um, to face the Beavs in a rivalry game, whereas UCLA... For, for their schedule, they have basically Oregon, and then they just have to get through USC, um, and then they look like they could be wrapping up a spot in the Pac-12 championship game. So just wanted to talk about just the magnitude behind this game in the big picture for the Pac-12 title. Yeah, it's, it's hard not to look at it that way. Uh, and it's fun because this year is the first year that divisions don't have anything to do with it. So that adds another wrinkle to it where – Maybe Oregon wins this game or UCLA wins this game. Either way, it'd be the same thing because, like you said, they're they're the two undefeated Pac-12 teams left when it comes to conference play. And they can meet up again in the conference title game. Or UCLA can play USC twice in three weeks. And that that's something that'll be really interesting to keep an eye on 
Uh, it makes the tiebreaker situation so much more interesting. That's why usually at this point in the year, you start seeing uh, different scenarios of, oh, if you beat this team, then that gives you an X percent chance. And all you have to do is beat this team. And then there's not really any of that this year. And you look at all the people who usually come out with those numbers and they're like, yeah, there are too many different ways this can go because there aren't divisions anymore. So it can go any number of ways. Um, and I think that really the first domino to fall will be this UCLA Oregon game. Whoever wins this, I would say has a 95% chance of, of playing in the Pac-12 championship game and whoever loses it maybe is still has a 60% chance or yeah, 50% you're not out of it necessarily. Exactly. So, so it's, it's big for the winner and for UCLA, UCLA probably has more to lose just because they're undefeated overall and technically are still in the race for a college football playoff spot. If they can run the table and go 12 and 0 and win the PAC 12 championship game um, or Oregon's is more about making the PAC 12 championship game and then going to a Rose bowl again after that, since who knows how many sec teams have one loss or no losses. So if you're a PAC 12 team to make the college football playoff, let's say you have to be undefeated. So that's what UCLA has at stake. But for UCLA and Oregon, the Pac-12 championship game is is right there. The the winner, I can confidently say, will go to the Pac-12 championship game, and maybe the loser will meet them there in a rematch too. We've talked about how this is still kind of a prove-it year, prove-it time for Chip Kelly. And then conversely for Oregon and Dan Lanning, I've talked about this a million times, so I don't want to bore people with repeating myself, but this just makes the the hire of Dan Lanning and when he comes to the Pac-12, what's happening in the Pac-12, Oregon's championship window so interesting because even though he's a first-year head coach, I think for, for most Oregon fans, the, the Pac-12 title game, at least appearing, is the standard, like the bare minimum expectation. So that'll be interesting to track, and this is a big hurdle that Oregon has to get over. Uh, Oregon plays its best football at home. And I just thought about another point I wanted to ask you, Sam. You've been covering this team for a while. As good as UCLA is, they haven't really played a tough, true road game. Just going to Boulder isn't exactly, uh, you know, the the devil's lair. I don't know where I was going with that or like the hardest <laughs> road matchup. So where is your confidence at with how this UCLA team is going to handle going to Otson? And, you know, really, for all intents and purposes, it's first true road test this year. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to look at that way because it's if you go back to to last year, uh, their last three games were all in LA. They go to USC when USC they, they had an interim and everything. No, not a lot of fans showing up is in their home city. That wasn't much of a road game. Uh, and then before that, they played at Utah, which is always a tough environment. But they didn't have DTR. They didn't have Alec Anderson, their starting right tackle. So they lost big. But it's also like well, you didn't get any read on how DTR does on the road or how the offensive line does on the road. So its biggest games last year were pretty much all at home or if they were tough road environments, there was some kind of missing piece. So you don't really have a a big sample size to work with when you're trying to gauge how UCLA will do on the road. Um, You think as a fifth-year guy, DTR would be more comfortable on the road than an underclassman or a junior. Um, That's just kind of what the assumption is, um, but you don't really know. Uh, Chip Kelly's game plan, I mean, I, he knows Otson better than anyone and, and the environment there and the, the fan noise and how to how things are timed out and uh, what the sound is like and how it bounces off. So that can't hurt for sure, but 
how well is he going to be able to translate that to his players? And someone like Jalen Davies played there last year, so he knows. And, and there, there's definitely um, an awareness and a familiarity, um, but not to the extent where it's like, oh, I'm sure that they can totally succeed in a rainy, loud environment. There are a lot of question marks, and and that's something that probably the biggest thing UCLA will have to overcome because they've played good teams. They've played Utah and and Washington and and Oregon is probably a hair better than those teams, but maybe some way on the same tier, you can say. Uh, what they haven't done is played those teams on the road at a stadium as loud as Otson in, in the environment that they're going to be playing in on Saturday. So a lot of question marks, and, and I would say it starts there. Gotta gotta see how UCLA shows up on the road, what aspects travel, as I like to kind of say, because Oregon They've, they've been a good team, you know, for the past two, three years. But before Lanning came in, I would say, and maybe we're still trying to figure it out a little bit, they were a totally different team on the road. It's like, what, what, what is this? Like, after seeing them dominate in Austin, they just can't show up, getting dominated in Vegas, getting dominated in Salt Lake City, almost letting UCLA back in that game when they were uh, on the road last year for this very matchup. So there's a lot at stake that we're still waiting to find out, that we're still trying to learn about this UCLA team as you said there. Um, But now we just want to get into our final section, mailbag questions, and not really necessarily mailbag, but questions that are asked in the chat. So we're going to try to get to these ones that we can. This is from Brian for, I think for Sam. Uh, Is there any scenario in which the use in which UCLA would turn down the big 10 deal and stay in the PAC 12? Uh, I would say no. I know there have been a lot of people who have thrown out things about different revenue sharing splits and uneven splits. I I know there's been talk about what do Oregon or Washington want out of a deal that could possibly look like that. I just don't think that's feasible or realistic. And if that's not on the table, then even if it was, honestly, I think UCLA would maybe have too much pride to, to take a step back after announcing all of this. Financially speaking, it makes too much sense to, to go to the Big Ten and to, to back out of that now. I, I don't really see a reason why that would happen. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's all these last-ditch efforts, that scenarios that get thrown around to try to keep the Pac-12 together, although it kind of just seems like it's, it's destined on a course to, to crumble. And then some of the, <laughs> the, the you know, like big schools like Oregon and Washington are still kind of trying to see where they maybe fit. Stanford, uh, really weird timing for them because they're just playing horribly this year, even though they beat Notre Dame, but Notre Dame isn't very good. Um, so, but they're like still a pretty storied program and they have the most national championships combined, I think of any school in the country. So a lot of, a lot of details that still got to get figured out. It sounds like the big Ten's kind of in a holding pattern for now on expansion. Still got to wait to see what happens with Notre Dame since they're kind of their priority there, but I'm more or less on the on the same boat with you there, Sam, uh, about UCLA and the Big Ten. Sounds yeah, like it's about and, a wrap. And I will say, I know the the UC system and, and Cal Berkeley are and and the Pac-12 are trying to make a push to keep UCLA. Uh, I, I don't think those really have any grounds, and they're they're probably not going to go anywhere from from what I can gather. Okay. Yeah. No. Appreciate you you adding that in there. Uh, Mikey G asks, is it safe to say that UCLA making the Rose Bowl would not have home field advantage, given uh, what we were talking about, about kind of drumming up some excitement and how it's a little weird that for as good as UCLA has been playing, they don't really seem to fill out the Rose Bowl on a consistent basis. Yeah, I I don't think 
it it would be a home game for them. Ironically, I think it would be similar to any other Pac-12 team. Um, you had Oregon go and, and Utah go, and, and they obviously get good crowds, and UCLA would obviously get a great one. But it, whether it's Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State, those fan bases are looking for any excuse to travel out west. They love going to the Rose Bowl. So honestly, I, I don't think UCLA should take it as too much of an offense that they aren't dominating the crowd at the Rose Bowl because it's not like it's literally a home game. It's kind of built for it to be a, a, an attraction for visiting fans. And that's what it would be. There'd be a lot of uh, alumni in the LA area from the, whatever big 10 school that is a lot of people traveling out uh, and, and UCLA would get its, its best crowd of the year, probably, even though uh, there would be some competition for those tickets this time. Uh, I just, I, I think that it would be a 50, 50 split or something, uh, which looks bad on paper considering campus is, whatever what 25 miles away as opposed to 3000 for penn state <laughs> but it, all in all I, I think ucla fans would be able to live with that as long as they make it to the rose bowl yeah when, winning the getting to the rose bowl winning is a different discussion but getting to the rose bowl would be a huge step forward for ucla seeing that that is their uh, their home stadium and uh they're they're doing everything they can to to make that a reality so far this year at six and oh but Rose Bowl has not proven to be too much of a home field advantage for them, at least recently. Um, next question comes from Brooks, who says, Max, did you ever find out why Brandon Baker posted that IG story saying he is committed to Oregon? Yeah, I, I, I tried doing some digging, but I haven't been able to find out if uh, if that's legit or not. I'm sharing my screen for those of you guys that are watching on YouTube. Um, this It's a you know, picture of his story where he's wearing an Oregon hoodie and says, I'm committed to Oregon. So, not official yet. I mean, you got to figure this is a commitment. It's the most casual commitment announcement uh, we've, we've seen, um, seeing that there haven't been any other posts on Instagram or, or Twitter. So we still got to kind of wait to see what happens there. But uh, they just added a commitment from Lipe Mwala, who's a 2023 O-lineman out of modern day. Figure you want to keep ramping up that pipeline uh, on the recruiting trail. So that I just wanted to tackle that one real quick. Not really a much of a UCLA angle there, Sam. So we'll just keep rolling. Hey, hey, he he has an offer from UCLA, so there is it is related. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I know that those uh, offers have been a little hard to come by at times for for some yeah. prospects. Figure those guys in your own backyard should be no brainer, especially at modern day. But that's just my two cents. <laughs> um, next question or comment comes from Tyler. I think containing, I think keeping containment and being disciplined on it is the key to keeping DTR from having a huge game. Uh, we talked about how that's definitely important, but not necessarily the whole equation, huh, Sam? Yeah, it's kind of a, a pick your poison when it comes to DTR because uh, if you go all out in the contain uh, and don't really dive fully into the pass rush, then he has time to sit in the pocket. And because of Chip Kelly's ability to design plays, that can kind of open things up for him in passing lanes and uh, that he'd be able to, to tear defense apart that way. But if you go all out in the pass rush, then he can slip through and, and make big plays, run the read option really well. Um, RPO he's been able to, to succeed at. Um, so it, it's, it's tough to find a singular way to stop DTR. It's not like uh, someone like Khalil Tate, who was, you stop him from running and, and you're fine. Or Anthony Brown last year, you stop him from running and, and you're fine. Uh, he's he's someone who's very dynamic, uh, which 
a lot of times oh, football fans say, oh, he's dynamic, which means he's a runner first. DTR is dynamic because he can run really well and pass really well. So you're going to have to meet him with a dynamic defensive scheme that can stop him from running and kind of clog up those passing lanes and, and disrupt him a little bit. I don't know what that takes, uh, creative blitz patterns, uh, a lot of misdirection uh, in the front seven, um, but it's definitely not going to be a simple task to, to get DTR off his game. And maybe this is a game where we see some of that multiplicity from Dan Lanning's defense that we've heard about in the past. I, I talked to you, know, obviously a lot of recruits and uh, that's part of what they say they find intriguing about Oregon is that their defense is multiple and they can give you a lot of different looks. Uh, and that's also one of the challenges I think that comes with installing a new scheme, particularly on defense is having guys needing to get lined up in a variety of looks, uh, you know, different formations that you have to be comfortable with, but, but given the skill set that DTR has, maybe this is a game where we see a little bit more creative creativity from a defensive standpoint for Oregon. And I think another thing that they have in their favor going into this game against DTR is that they faced a lot of uh, dynamic quarterbacks or a fair amount of dynamic quarterbacks so far this year uh, with Jaron Hall being one of them. Uh, and then you also have um, Cam Ward at Washington state who is a little bit more kind of NFL mobile where he can extend a lot of plays, but isn't going to kill you with his legs. And then kind of a similar deal, I think with Jaden Delora, at Arizona, he, he's a little bit more of a well-rounded overall quarterback that can also run and get after, uh, you know, hurting you with his legs. So it's going to take a full team effort and a really good game plan to slow down DTR. So I think it's going to kind of become with come to limiting the impact that he has. And uh, you definitely got to get some sacks and, and try to rattle him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He, he's someone who has improved when it comes to uh, dealing with pressure, but like any quarterback, you get to him enough times, throw him off. I mean, you, everyone listening to this or watching this saw what Kayvon Thibodeau did to him last year. And, and yeah, he's he's improved since then, and, and he's healthy, and, and that's all really good. But uh, th- there is a, a way to disrupt him, and he's – no quarterback in college football is infallible, DTR included, for as well as he's playing. There's just a very specific way that you're going to need to defend him, and that would take, like you said, a lot of multiplicity from defense. All right, last question we have here, Sam, and then uh, it is a recruiting question, though, so uh, I want to get some of your final <laughs> thoughts on this game after this question, uh, but I wanted to get to it because I love recruiting. Uh, Christopher asks, Max, do you think this game will seal the deal on any prospects attending or watching at home? Could this game be the prove-it game for anybody on the fence? Um, this is a good question. I mean, or- Oregon's got a pretty loaded visitor list so far. I just up- updated it this morning. Um, Brandon Baker is going to be in attendance for this game, as is like most of as are most of the modern day guys uh, on this year's squad. I was doing the visit list, and it's just Santa Ana, Santa Ana, Santa Ana. So many modern day guys are going to be in attendance. Brandon Baker's the guy I'd probably say I'm most confident. And potentially if someone were to commit this weekend um, in 24, at least because he's just been so vocal about his love for Oregon, his, his brother played at Oregon. So, and his teammate Lipe Mwala just committed there who I found out was, uh, is related to Haloti Nada. Uh, I got an interview that I'm going to be writing up today on that one. Once we get out of the pod. So I probably say Brandon Baker's the guy I'm most confident in. Um, you got Jerry Mixon coming. He's committed. He's a linebacker in 23, Cody to Canberra to Vita Pomee. So those are the main guys that I have, but I, I, this, I mean, maybe you could chime in on this, Sam. I feel like this is the caliber of a game that could potentially push recruits over the edge because it's like, okay, they, you know, they've, they 
did really well after playing against Georgia and getting the doors blown off of them. Um, and then now they proved it against a, a top 10 opponent and on the game's biggest stage with, with game day in town. Yeah, I think that's the major thing where I mean, there are big games in college football every week when it comes to ranked opponent against ranked opponent. But at this time in the season with the stakes we were talking about with the Pac-12 championship game and then college game day being there, I think is the biggest factor when when you're a high school recruit and you're either there and you get a full 24 hour push from from a staff, uh, you go early in the morning and see the students on campus and the stadium and and all these things, a major TV audience, even if you're a guy back in, in Southern California or in Seattle or wh- wherever you are as a recruit watching this on TV, it's attractive to see the whole environment. And, and then if Oregon wins and you get to see what it's like after that, after the biggest game of the season, what is Eugene like? What's the, it, it just, it's all these things that when you're a recruit, you want to see, you want to imagine yourself in that situation. You want to think about playing in, in on Fox, on ESPN college game day, uh, what the celebration is like in, in town after what the reaction from the student section is uh, hearing Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson say your name on TV, all that fun stuff that that recruits just totally dig. And then obviously being in the stadium for the game itself. Uh, There's so many factors and and this is the exact type of game where they all kind of mesh into one and, and it becomes a much bigger thing for these guys. Absolutely. Well, lots of big names expected on campus. Still got some time to try to confirm some more guys that are going to be in attendance. So we'll try to keep you updated on DucksDigest.com for the latest over there. Um, but Sam, before we get you out of here, just any final thoughts, any topics of this game that we maybe didn't get into or you wanted to add a little bit more on before we wrap up here? Uh, I, I feel like we, we touched on a lot. I know, I know we talked a little bit about uh, DTR and Bo Nix. I think that's going to be a really big quarterback battle and I know they're not on the field at the same time. You ask a quarterback about it in a press conference, then they'll always say they're not going against the quarterback. They're going against the defense. But when it comes to the narratives and who's going to be Pac-12 offensive player of the year or on the the, the first team quarterback or a Heisman contender or Davey O'Brien contender, this is a big game for both of them for that. I'd say DTR currently, just because his team is undefeated and he didn't have the type of loss that Bo Nix did against Georgia. Uh, DTR is in the lead when it comes to those conversations, but one win by Bo Nix and one massive performance on a giant grand spotlight stage and, and that can flip. So that that'll definitely be something that's interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah. What, what a win would mean for Bo Nix or Dorian Thompson Robinson's Heisman chances, Heisman resume. Um, crazy that we're talking about that with, with a, a PAC 12 quarterback, let alone multiple <laughs> PAC 12 quarterbacks. Um, so got to give a shout out to the PAC 12 so far this season, just playing some really good football uh, overall, and it's kind of strange to see that they're a little top-heavy with you know three, four teams uh, all in the mix there. But it makes for more fun games. Cannot wait for this game. Definitely going to have to get up for game day, get my pumpkin cream cold brew, kind of my Saturday <laughs> tradition. Um, but I'm super stoked for this game. It would just mean a lot for both teams. I feel like it would uh, – I was going to say I think it would mean more for UCLA just because of kind of what we've been talking about with Chip Kelly. But it would mean a lot for Dan Lanning too in his first year as head coach at Oregon or as a head coach in general. Um, so that's a little debate we can have in the comments. Uh, any Saturday traditions that you have, Sam, uh, for college football? Hmm. Trying to think not, not really. I feel like it all kind of varies, especially 
And you and I both know when we're on the road covering games that that kind of mixes you up a little bit too. And yeah, I don't, I feel like I don't have anything that, uh, that consistent that, that I go back to. Um, I know I like watching game day when it's on TV. That's always fun. Uh, but, but nothing, nothing too concrete that I can think of. All right. Well, there we go. It's fun to, fun to just ask and kind of, uh, touch on that. But Sam, before we get you out of here, where can people find more of you and kind of the work that you have going on in the college football space? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Sam Conan at C O N N O N. Uh, and then you can head on over to allbruins.com for the UCLA site on the foundation sports illustrated networks. Um, so yeah, we got all the UCLA coverage you'd ever want over there. Uh, so make sure to check that out. All right. If you guys, so make sure you tap in with Sam. If you guys are trying to learn more, uh, about UCLA. That's why I love bringing them on and giving you guys uh, a look at uh, Oregon's next opponent from, from an expert. If you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtorissports. Uh, also, a reminder to like the video and subscribe to the channel. Biggest way you can support us is sharing the show, share the Ducks Dish podcast. We are quickly growing and love doing these. Um, so that's where you guys can find more of me. Also, make sure you check out ducksdigest.com and subscribe been really ramping up recruiting over there got a leap moala interview coming out over there in the near future um and then tomorrow we'll be back tomorrow for our keys to victory for oregon against the ucla bruins going to be bringing on josh parker one of our newer writers so i'll probably have that uploaded tomorrow earlier in the day but uh until next time thank you guys so much thanks for tuning in thanks to sam for making some time and we'll see you on the next episode of the ducks dish podcast It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com